Welcome to Diverse, the podcast of the Society of Women Engineers. SWE supports the advancement of women in engineering and technology. You can find all of our podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, and SWE's blog all together at altogether.swe.org. Hi, I'm Penny Worsing, FY19 President of the Society of Women Engineers, and this is SWE's Diverse Podcast. Joining me now as part of our Women Ex Executives in Engineering podcast series is Cindy Kent. She's the opening keynote speaker at WE18, SWE's annual conference in Minneapolis this October. Thanks for joining us, Cindy. Well, thank you so much for having me, Penny. It's a pleasure to be here. Could you uh, start out by just introducing yourself a little bit? Absolutely. So. First of all, I am thrilled to be having this level of engagement with SWE. And uh, as a matter of fact, one of my first leadership awards for being a woman in engineering that I ever received was from SWE in 2013 when I was presented with the Suzanne Genetis Upward Mobility Award. And it has meant so much to me. And as you know, just like myself, Suzanne was the first generation college graduate in her family, also first female engineer at Johns Hopkins, and went on to have such a stellar career at Northrop Grumman and a strong remained a strong supporter of SWE. And so whether it be from the SWE career fairs in college to now, engagement with the organization has been so helpful to me in building my confidence as a woman in STEM and also continuing to reinforce the importance of women helping other women, especially those with technical backgrounds, to grow and thrive in their lives and careers. And so currently I am a healthcare executive, board member, and innovator. And when I say innovator, it's just not from a business disruption perspective or technology perspective, but more about the uncommon path that I've had and taken in my career. I absolutely love mentoring and often share stories about the cohort of women in my engineering class at Northwestern that we continue to remain close, a group that we call lovingly the crew to this day. And early in my career, I was actually sponsored by my employer, Eli Lilly and Company, a, a mid-cap pharmaceutical company, to pursue dual degrees, master degrees, one in marketing, an MBA in marketing, and also a master's in divinity. And next month, I am delighted to have the pleasure to speak at the Women in Tech Summit in Austin, Texas, where female executives across the country uh, most of whom are not only work in tech, but have founded their own and are CEOs of their own technology companies. And so what I've learned throughout my own life journey and spiritual journey is to appreciate all of life lessons, whether you learn them in life itself or in your career. And so it will be an honor to, to talk to you not only today, but with the membership suite coming up in October at the conference about how I live intentionally, how I work intentionally, and my uh, approach to helping and mentoring others as so many has done, have done for me. So I'm looking forward to our time together to share my thoughts and experiences on those, in those areas. Cindy, the, uh, the theme for this year's conference, as you know, is let's break boundaries. Uh, it's a theme that certainly resonates for me. And I understand that you've 
broken a few boundaries of your own over your career, uh, perhaps some of them unintentionally. Could you tell us about some of those? Absolutely. So that seems to be breaking boundaries, particularly the unintentional part, has seems to be a theme throughout my career. I think one of the earliest examples of breaking boundaries is uh, being first generation college graduate out of my family. And certainly from a career standpoint, one of the earliest ones is the fact that when I decided to leave my employer to go back to graduate school about five years into my career and decided that I wanted to do a combination of business and divinity, not really thinking about or realizing the implications professionally, that my company actually raised their hand and offered to sponsor me both for the MBA as well as for for the master's in divinity. Um, I'm wondering, I have never checked whether or not they've ever paid for anybody else to go back to divinity school since. But the conversation that I had with the then CHRO, um, the chief human resource officer of the company, was that they had believed, the senior leadership team believed that that degree in divinity would further enhance my capabilities and talent as a leader. As my career continued to progress through the help of mentors and more importantly, sponsors, which we'll talk a little bit more about later, it was always um, opportunities provided where I was either the first um, African-American female or the highest ranking leading business line. So I've always been in marketing or on the commercial side of the business as a general manager leading commercial operations. And even most recently, when in 2013, when I went to 3M, they had never hired in an executive from outside the company. Certainly they hired women who progressed through the organization and became members of the executive team, but a first to come through the doors that way. And so one of the things that I would, um, encourages women break boundaries and be lead boldly and fearlessly is not to be overly concerned with life in a fishbowl because when you are breaking boundaries and setting examples, people will pay attention. And it's not always because of, of negative implications, but that people are watching and and getting comfortable with that type of visibility is, is critical because it's not only about our individual success when we're boundary boundary breakers, but the fact that it's going to open up a door which I hope is all of our goals for those young ladies that are coming up behind us as next generations, such that our mindset is that we lift as we climb. There's no glory in being the first if you're going to be the only one for a long period of time. But being the first and the tip of the spear only sets the precedence for others to follow. That is so very true. And I, I truly um, appreciate your um, your perspectives on that. Um, You've mentioned that it is important for women to support other women. Um, can you give some examples of when you've uh, either provided or experienced that kind of support? Fortunately, both and quite regularly. So I'll maybe tell um, talk about one of each examples. Earlier in my career, particularly being that I had not before taking a full-time job and internships in college, had never worked in a corporate environment. I didn't have family members who were members of, of corporate environments and uh, coming from a blue collar family in, in middle Tennessee, Nashville, Tennessee. And so what I had a 
supporters and mentors doing at that early stage of my career was teaching me the social graces, the unwritten rules of the workplace, et cetera, about life in corporate. And I, you know, didn't know just something, it sounds silly and and embarrassing, but true, even what to wear in corporate dress. So most days being a young engineer, I was in uh, the white uniforms because I was in a regulated uh, environment. So I was crawling in and out of equipment or in labs. But on the days that we would have corporate visits, I would have to wear suits. And the only formal business clothes that I thought was business clothes was church attire. And I can remember some of the earlier women in my career helping me with shopping and, and it's silly and, and it is not meant to be stereotypical, but there were things that really set me up for a success of, you know, what did it look like? What did I need to look like uh, to be a part of the organization and, and a part of corporate culture um, without embarrassing myself or or the company? And so that was very helpful and just being mentors to me along the way. How I embrace that, because one of the, the things that I hold near and dear to my heart is a quote by Maya Angelou, who said, when you learn, you teach. And when you get, you give. And so, and, and there's a spiritual component that to whom much is given, much is required. And I hold that dear and make it a priority to mentor and, and even sponsor women coming behind me. And one of the most memorable examples of that, because we often talk about it and um, she and I have done talks together on occasion about our sponsoring and mentoring relationship was a PhD young woman scientist when I was at Medtronic who worked on my technical team. And I could tell how she approached when she was at meetings, how she approached the business. She was always curious, always wanted to learn. She stayed after meetings and stayed with the marketers to get the customer input so that she could take it back to the work that she was doing on the bench to better inform the developments and the research and development efforts. And so when it came time, we were going to create a new role across the business teams um, that were essentially the liaisons between the technical community and the business community. And it was a very affluent role. They were, we were looking for high potential talent, people that were very skilled and that also uh, balanced both the left and the right brain and would be able to take the technical aspects and the complexity and be able to meet with customers and get input to better inform business decisions as well. And I just became a champion of Kelly. That was her name or that is her name and wanted to promote her, which was two levels above where she was at the time into that role. And there were concerns within the technical and R and D department that she would be jumping two levels and possibly creating a conflict for others who had been in the organization much longer. But that's the benefit of leading an organization and being able to sponsor and and sometimes even seeing potential in individuals that they don't see in themselves. And so when I told Kelly that I'd like to see her in this role because she had expressed the desire to be come over to the business side at some point in her career. I thought that she was ready to take the first step by serving as this chief engineer, chief engineering role right then and went to bat to ensure that she got the role. And it was not without contention, but behind closed doors and, and even publicly, I 
went to bat for her. And, and it, since it was the business that I was leading, really got to make the decision. And she thrived in that role. She absolutely blossomed and continued to advance in her career and has been promoted several times since then. What a fabulous um I say story is not a story, a fabulous experience of um, how things can work um, to be very positive for both you and um, and the people that you work with. It, um, I, I'm smiling as I'm listening to you to relate that. Um, oh, thank you. So you um, you were recognized by uh, Lead 360 Magazine as its uh, tw- 2018 Executive of the Year. And uh, last year, Black Enterprise Magazine ranked you as one of the top 100 most powerful women in business. You know, smart women, those who are really able to think and articulate well, can be intimidating to some. How do we break down that kind of barrier? Yeah. And Penny, it's unfortunate, but it is absolutely true. That has been and continues to be my experience. But one of my philosophies on that is to seek first to understand and before being understood. And I think it's also one of Stephen Covey's principles. But by seeking to understand the other, and I think that uh, goes a long way of having a high degree of empathy to understand their position of, you know, why they may have sometimes known, sometimes unknown micro biases. But the one thing that I will continue to encourage, not only in reminding myself, my peer groups and mentees, is what we can't do is dim our lights. I think that the first impulse that we have is to not be scared, not to speak up. And I've and I've done all of that. There have been times when I've said, well, you know, if if people feel that way, I'll talk less. And then consequently, I get the feedback of you've gone under the radar and it's it's actually more intimidating that you're sitting there and people know that you have ideas and you're not articulating them. And it becomes one of those dynamics of, of a catch 22 that you feel that you can't win either way. And so the best way is to um, a couple of things that I would, I would recommend that have been, have worked for me is one is, um, continuing to show up in your most authentic self where people get to know you. But the other thing is to build relationships outside of the workplace. So asking people for coffee, maybe to lunch of not making everything about a position on a business position, but getting to know and connecting with others on a personal level as human beings, because it's very hard that usually intimidation originates from a place of fear and fear starts because there's not common ground and understanding. And so when I was a sales rep, the, the most of the training that we received was around establishing common ground. Nobody's going to want to listen to you or buy anything that you're selling if they don't know and trust you. And so that lesson early in my career has carried forward uh, and been very helpful in continuing to build relationships, not only with peers in the workplace, but also with customers uh, that we serve in business, but seeking to and taking the ownership. You know, a lot of times we will assume, well, they're not trying to get to know me or they're not inviting me out. And at the end of the day, you want to get to healthy business relationships. And sometimes that means that you take the lead in those. And that is perfectly okay because ultimately it's going to serve you well and let the other person see that you're willing to make the effort to build these bridges. 
there's some excellent um, tips there because I think there are so many of our listeners and uh, women engineers around the world who who do experience that intimidation. So thank you for sharing some some tips. Um, I understand you have a bachelor's degree in industrial engineering from mm-hmm. North, Northwestern University, as well as an MBA in uh, marketing and a master's degree, as you mentioned, in divinity from Vanderbilt. Um, tell us a little bit more about mm, your educational background um, and how that all came together. Well, yes. So um, industrial engineering started in high school. And it was, uh, as a matter of fact, I did just did a celebration at my high school honoring the guidance counselor who influenced that decision to major in engineering. And so when I was a junior and finishing all the standardized testing, I wanted to pursue liberal arts. And there's certainly no dishonor in that at all. But I remember her name was Miss Solomon talking to my mother, who was a the uh, definitely the push in terms of education in my family. And she told my mother that Cindy is really a natural in math and science. And here she is, this little brown girl from the South with a strong math and science skills, she needs to be an engineer. And once my mother um, accepted that, that she became a supporter and encouraged me to do the same. And it was a matter at that point of choosing which major and type of engineering I wanted to do. And so uh, I always, every summer from seventh grade through graduation, spent the summers doing some type of educational related program. And that particular summer after, I believe, my sophomore year, I was at Georgia Tech and um, they had a summer program, a three-week program where they would introduce us to the different engineering disciplines. And at the time, I was thinking chemical engineering or maybe civil, but I was at the student union and heard a student talking about her summer internship and doing these time and motion studies and making the operations more efficient. And I just about bolted over finishing up lunch to get to her to ask her what her major was. And she shared with me that it was industrial engineering. And I did my own research at the time and I was absolutely hooked from that point on. And so I applied to colleges as an industrial engineer because to me, it seemed the perfect interface between the technical and the administrative and business and, and something in me, you know, not even going on to pursuing advanced degrees with the business and divinity has always sought the intersection of those what seems like not common grounds. And so industrial engineering seemed to do that. And then when I graduated later and was working and decided to go back. I thought I was going to do law and business and had been accepted into law school and was awaiting admissions decisions into business school. And as I thought more about it, because I, I was operating in, in the ministry and had went and reviewed my feedback that I had always received during my annual performance reviews. And there were always comments around influence and followership and things that I didn't recognize about myself. And so I dropped the law 
portion in order to pursue divinity, both for personal reasons and in my spiritual journey, but also because I thought it would inform me being a compassionate, empathetic leader to inspire my teams to do their best. And uh, consequently, you know, even from that earlier thinking, it's played out just that way. The things that, you know, I tend to lead with a 360 type of leadership and managing and leading the whole person and not allowing my team members to compartmentalize themselves or their lives. When big things are happening in the personal sphere, it does impact how they show up in the workplace. And I always want them to know and understand and to know and believe that they have a boss who understands that. And my experience has been by demonstrating that type of leadership that I have team members who are willing to go over mountains and through mountains for me and to get ultimately the business results that we all want. And so it is never, um, the educational pursuits have only enhanced, I believe my disruptive barrier breaking journey in life and, and in my career. Well, um, there were a couple of points that I wanted to just follow up on a little bit. You you mentioned how important it was that um, you had an opportunity at a very young age to um, get a better understanding of the various types of engineering. And and certainly that is something that um, SWE tries to do a lot of, but it is it. It is amazing the impact that that can have on people's decisions. So it's very good that that you mentioned that. I think that will only reinforce um, uh, the desire that so many people have for the outreach to the younger women. Oh, absolutely. That has always been helpful. Even after I decided on industrial engineering, get to college, and of course you get to see and take classes in all the other disciplines, Um, having upperclassmen, or in my case, the dean of students uh, was a, a, a female tech leader. And so just having that type of mentoring has always been very helpful to me, which is why I seek to be that and, uh, and support other women in that way. Well, that leads uh, perfectly into my next question, which is, um, what are your thoughts on uh, the difference between mentorship, which you mentioned, and sponsorship? Absolutely. So both have served critical roles in my career. But how I think of it is that mentors usually help you navigate your decisions. They talk to you about you, whether that be about career decisions or unspoken rules of the workplace. And many times they encourage me to pursue stretch assignments even before I thought I was ready. And so that's a very important role. But even more importantly than mentoring is this role of sponsorship and sponsors. And what sponsors do go above and beyond just what mentors do. They talk, sponsors talk to others about you. They advocate for you when you're not in the room. And many times, just like the story I told about me making sure that my mentee and colleague Kelly got into a newly created role, even though it was two levels above where she currently was, that's what sponsors do. They leverage their own social, relational, and organizational power on your behalf. Because these individuals often have influence uh, inside the industry or across the organization, they're able to give you access to opportunities that you may not get otherwise. Cindy, you've had increasing leadership roles um, at Medtronic, Eli Lilly, and, uh, uh, and company, and most recently 3M. 
how did you learn to stand out or get comfortable standing out as a leader while being true to yourself? Yeah. So I think that the root of courageous, fearless leadership, especially in my case of having what I call two degree differences, and and I'll talk maybe a little bit about that in, uh, in a second, but it's very important to, to be comfortable in the skin you're in and not be shaken by being in an environment where you are the only one or one of few women voices in the room, et cetera. And so certainly, as I mentioned before, I stood out because of, of race and gender and being the only woman running a business enterprise, African-American woman running a, a business enterprise at these respective organizations. Um, but also being willing to what I call radical collaboration. I would be willing to step over boundaries, whether it's boundaries of PL or business levels in order to get things done. And so um, one example came to mind when I was at 3M recently and I was leading the drug delivery devices business, um, which was a business for those that are asthmatic and you have to use an inhaler or an actuator to breathe. And we developed those for pharmaceutical companies. And as we start talking about getting more into digital analytics and began to talk to our customers, end user customers, we heard the parents of these asthmatic children talking about how they would love to have early indicators that their children were going to have an asthmatic or experience an asthmatic attack before it was too late, or even themselves. Is there a way of using sensor technology and other things in order to have an early indication of um, an attack, an asthmatic attack? And certainly we only were able to go as far as our PL would only take us to putting these analytical and sensor devices on the actuator themselves. But when I looked across campus, across 3AM, I noticed that in the consumer business, they had the filters. In the consumer business, there was the home improvement that would carry the home filters. And we could tie our sensors to that and create an ecosystem. If we go further across campus in the industrial business, they had the personal respirators that are used in safety. And before you knew it, we were able to cobble together a a very important and strategic value proposition of air quality and air safety across the enterprise, much more so than any one division could do within itself. And unbeknownst to me, the word of this radical collaboration got back to the CEO and he called me into a meeting to explain what I was calling the moonshot project to talk about how in the world were you able to unleash this level of enterprise value across 3M, you know, what made you grow across campus. But when you have and are part of a company that has so many different uh, solutions and so many different technologies and, and innovations and being able to think about them differently because I didn't grow up there. And so I virtually thought of it as a candy land, being able to bring all these pieces together. And so, and being willing to cross those divisional boundaries to talk to my peer group about how we could partner together to all of us win differently in the marketplace. And in the case of of the home filters, they were able to accelerate the launch of that product, bringing it 
multiple years, you know, where it was intended to be launched two to four years later and bring it to four so that they could have a bigger play in the market as could we, as could our division. So I think, you know, one of the things that um, I got a reputation for across each of the companies that you mentioned is for this different type of thinking. And I would even, Penny, go a step further and to say, I think that one of the things, perspective is critical. And if you bring people in, it's not just about the the thin, narrow slices of diversity of race and gender, but people who have different experiences that were raised differently, that live in other parts of the world that are very, what I call culturally fluid. You can drop them anywhere in the world and they'll figure out a way to navigate and find these common grounds. It really makes for robust thinking on our teams because the team should reflect the customers and the markets that we serve. And that type of radical customer centricity and willingness to cross boundaries to collaborate has been something um, that I've become known for. And I think the last thing that I, I hear a lot about is being willing to be a change leader. And so um, not letting the fact that something has never been done before being a boundary for not trying to do it and make it happen. There has to be a first for everything, whether it's the first time, you know, Neil Armstrong set foot on the moon or the first time many things happen. There had to be first. And, you know, I do embrace the thought that if it is to be, it's up to me or it's up to us as a team to break boundaries I love uh, bringing in the breaking boundaries again. Thank you so much for incorporating that. Um, you mentioned, uh, I believe, two degree differences. Could you expand on that? Absolutely. So the two degree differences research that I had heard many years ago, unfortunately, I can't uh, source it. Um, I think it was Catalyst Inc., who does tons of work about women in the workplace. And it was saying that women of color in particular have two degrees of separation and distance, social distance from those in power, which are often white males. And so in order to find common ground to create mentoring and, and sponsoring relationships or sponsorship relationships, you've got to overcome those two degrees of separation. They further have done recent research that says women who feel ethnically or racially different only receive CEO or senior executive mentoring and sponsorship 58% of the time compared to 71% of women who don't feel racially or ethnically different. And those numbers are much higher in terms of sponsors from senior executives for males of, of any race or hue. And so I, you know, strongly encourage when you are women of color in the workplace and even sitting on the other side of that, of being mindful and sometimes overreaching to create and, and to bring down those social barriers in order to create um, these common grounds. Because at the end of the day, we want our teams to reflect our customers and the marketplaces that we serve. And in order to do that, we go through all the trouble and invest lots of money in recruiting the very best talent of of either race and gender um, or any race and gender into the workplace, then we need to make sure that we create an environment that, that all of that talent feels included and even go beyond inclusion, but a sense of belonging such that they bring their best 
fullest, most authentic selves to the table to drive value for the enterprise and for the customers that we serve. And so there's been tons of research that has been done that this diversity of perspectives will increase the return on investment and drive profitability and growth and innovations in the organizations. Well, thank you. I, I had not heard the two degree difference, uh, but as you explain it, it makes perfect sense. And I'm going to go do a little more research on that myself. Oh, great. Absolutely. Like I said, I wish I could remember, but it resonated so strongly when I read it many years ago. Well, it sounds like you've had some really powerful role models throughout your life and career, um, starting with your parents. What do you see as the biggest value of having a mentor and a, and a role model? Yeah. First of all, I think that when you see it, Right. And, and get that strong mental model and mental image. It gives you a sense of confidence that it can be done. And so for me, one of the greatest things that my parents did early on in my life from probably the age of five and uh, onward is that they were very intentional and deliberate about asking me for my opinions and asking me to share my perspectives. And as uh, in anything as basic as what foods we should eat for dinner or what my bedtime should be. And as I got older on more important things like how I wanted to save and managing my own savings account, et cetera. And so what that allowed me to do, what, what it did for me was gave me a voice and made it okay and gave me permission to speak up and have a a point of view of what I liked and what I didn't like, even if they agreed or didn't agree with it, they allowed me to lean in and share and have a perspective of my own. And so imagine a world in which every little girl is raised to believe that her opinion matters and such that it's hard coded into her mental model that her thoughts and her inputs deserve to be heard. And so with that as a foundation, later in our experiences in our careers, when we are in the cases that we may be ignored or even overlooked, it becomes absolutely unacceptable and unconscionable that we won't be heard and we demand to be heard in, in some ways. And so what mentors do um, is many times they see potential in us that we don't see or show us a possibility that we hadn't heretofore considered. And early mentors in my career um, of women engineers, right? I, of all of my friends set that went to college from my classmates in high school, I was the only one that chose engineers engineering as a discipline. And then in college, the group of friends that became our study group or that we call ourselves the crew, we still stay connected. And so when one of the members of the crew won Black Engineer of the Year Award in April, eight out of the 11 of us came to support her in that um, award, receiving that award. And so it's become a lifelong journey of supporting each other together. But mentoring goes both ways. It's not just a superior to a lower or younger. Sometimes, you know, we do reverse. I do reverse mentoring where I have folks that are younger and newer in the organization that are certainly more digital natives and digital savvy, mentoring me to make sure that I stay relevant and current on my skill sets. And, you know, I 
I, I remember one when I had opened up my Twitter account. I've never been a big Facebooker and telling me that, no, if you want to be cool, you got to be on Instagram and Twitter and uh, Snapchat came and, and gone. And so, you know, just having those types of connections and, and reverse mentoring is also helpful because I have found the higher you go in your career, more people talk about you than to you. And so the only way for a senior seasoned leader to stay current and keep their finger on the pulse of the organization is to make sure they have people that are telling them the truth about what's really going on and what's really being talked about around the water cooler. And oftentimes these reverse mentoring relationships and mentoring can serve those purposes. Well, thank you for that, Cindy. I'm just wondering, uh, do you have any other advice for young women interested in a career like yours? Yes. So the thing that I would say is, is the same thing that I hope for the women that are attending SWE, and that is that they are energized and inspired to go break barriers, even if they don't see it, to continue to raise their hand, to continue to um, take up their, their space at the table and own their seat at the table. One of my favorite quotes is Marianne Williamson is our deepest fear is not that we are, are powerless. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. And I truly believe that, that not letting anyone tell you that you're not talented or cause self-doubt, it just means that you need to find other friends or other people, other mentors or sponsors who believe in you, who will push you to um, go beyond your self-perceived barriers to break those boundaries. Oftentimes we all have that chatter in our heads that make us believe that imposter syndrome, that we're not good enough, bright enough, talented enough, beautiful enough, tall enough, short enough, wide enough, thin enough, whatever it is. But the truth of the matter is, is that we work really hard for those technical degrees and people aren't giving away engineering degrees. And if we can get through those tough programs, nothing else is impossible to us. And so I would just encourage them to keep showing up, keep raising their hand and keep breaking through barriers. No Knowing that what you're looking for is absolutely looking for you. That is so fantastic. I, I just can't wait to hear um, the rest of, of your, um, your keynote uh, speech and have a chance to chat with you more um, in Minneapolis. So thank you so much. I am looking forward to it. I can't wait. So Cindy Kent is the opening keynote speaker for us at WE18, uh, SWE's annual conference, which will be October 18th through 20th. 20th in Minneapolis. Uh, the title of Cindy's keynote is Breaking Through Starts With You. Go to we18.swe.org to register. Again, Cindy, thank you so much for joining us. And I'm looking forward to seeing you in Minneapolis. My pleasure and safe travels to all the listeners that are coming to our Twin Cities. Thank you. So for SWE and all of us here at SWE, I'm Penny Worsing. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Please don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes or like your favorite episodes on SoundCloud. If you have not already made plans to be part of the largest gathering of women engineers in the world, visit our WE18 conference site, we18.swe.org. Information on housing, registration, and keynote speakers is now available. 